Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. I'm your host, Jennifer McClure, and I want to thank you for joining me today for a chat with Noah Warder, head of people at Gusto. Like many of the forward-thinking leaders that I invite to share with us on the podcast, I first discovered Noah through his frequent posts on LinkedIn about employee engagement and recognition, issues facing people leaders, and highlighting diverse voices as well as others who are doing great work in the space. Shortly after following him, I was delighted that he inquired about bringing Disrupt HR events back to Vancouver, British Columbia, and he'll be co-organizing the 9th Disrupt HR Vancouver event on November 2nd, 2023. Noah has been leading people teams across Canada and the U.S. for over 10 years and now leads the people team at Gusto, a company that provides a recognition and rewards platform focused on both frontline and office employees. In this role, he gets to marry his passion for building a people-first culture that focuses on creating purpose, opportunity, and well-being for every member of the Gusto team. He's also the principal consultant and founder of People Ops Consulting, where he helps early-stage founders to build people-first cultures in a rapidly growing organization. In our conversation today, we'll chat about how HR leaders can prioritize people initiatives when so much has been added to their responsibilities over the last few years, as well as how they can coach and influence leaders and executives in their organizations to create people-first cultures. We also talk about how people leaders can build influence in their organizations and the importance of transparency for company culture and building trust. I think you'll enjoy this conversation and we'll leave it with some actionable takeaways to create or to further build a people-first approach in your own workplace. Well, welcome to the Impact Makers podcast, Noah Warder. I'm so excited to have you join me today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Yeah, well, I've become interested in you. I was sharing with you before we started recording. I I think I first noticed you just through some great posts of good content on LinkedIn. And now you're an organizer of events in Vancouver for Disrupt HR. And so part of why I have a podcast is I just want to connect with and have conversations with really smart people. And you're one of those. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are, why you exist and what type of work that you're doing? For sure. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself a very smart person. So I'm glad you think that, but I um, will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I come across that way. Yeah. Um, my background was actually, I, I like so many other, I think, HR practitioners, I fell into HR. I actually have a degree in education. I should have been a teacher at one point. I dabbled in entrepreneurship as a, as like a cafe restaurant owner. I had my own tech startup. So I've kind of done the gamut of, of everything. And and I kind of keep coming back to the people side of things. I really love it. I like working with people. I like helping organizations scale their people programs. I like seeing that tangible impact on people's lives. And so I think that's kind of what I love to do and why I kind of keep doing what I'm doing and why I'm kind of vocal on LinkedIn and some other places of like, I think, I think people practices and having good people practices isn't as hard as a lot of people make it out to be and isn't as expensive as a lot of people make it out to be. And I think there's a lot of things that companies can do that it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes a little bit of, you know, changing your mindset, switching the culture a little bit and just, you know, kind of having people, 
I'd say think a little bit more before they speak type of mentality. Um, and I think I think that's that's kind of the big thing that I like to push is just like, let's all just be a little bit more aware of what we're saying out in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a really interesting background that you kind of bring into to your role as head of people. And you also do, I believe, some consulting work on the side or, you know, in conjunction with with your work. At, at, how do you say it? it's a gusto or gusto? Yeah, gusto. yeah. We've got to like get the get the Italian into it. Right. <laughs> But you mentioned it; it's easier. Good people practices are easier than people think. I'm intrigued by that comment. Why don't you tell me, you know, how you're approaching it and what you think is easier than many people believe? Yeah, I think it's um, I, I think people get into this trap of like it's this all or nothing mentality when it comes to people programs, whether it's recognition, whether it's DEI, whether it's recruitment whether it's compensation, they think they have to like boil the sea, everything has to come roll out perfectly all at once. Um, and you got to buy all the expensive tools to do it. Um, and, you know, obviously, when you're an organization with thousands of employees, it is a lot harder to do these things, you got to massive cultural shifts and that whatnot. But I think there, there is, again, this mentality of just like, it has to be perfect day one, which is not the case at all. And I think we as HR professionals and people leaders need to be more comfortable with making mistakes, not knowing all the answers, failing a little bit more and starting really small and asking for more feedback and being a bit more vulnerable in those situations of like, when you implement a new program, maybe you've done, even if you've done it at a hundred other companies before the one that you're at now, the culture's different, the people are different, the people are going to take it a little bit differently. So being a little bit open about like, I don't know 100% how this is going to roll out. So I'm looking for feedback and how this is do- how this is going. And we can adjust in three to six months and make things better. Or we can adjust in a year. I think that mentality isn't embraced enough in the HR people world. I think it is getting there. More and more people are kind of embracing this. But I think, you know, CEOs, executives, there's just this fear when it comes to people programs of like, if we make a mistake, everything's going to be bad. And so they almost get this paralysis of like, let's just not change anything. Let's just like, what's working, but what we're doing is working good enough. And it's like, well, not really, because, you know, we have retention issues, we've got, you know, recruitment issues, we've got engagement issues. But it's like, yeah, but we're still growing, we're still making money, we're still doing these things. And it's like, yeah, but we could be doing so much more if we just made these small adjustments here and there. Sure. Well, I guess over the years, I mean, HR has always had a lot on its plate, HR people, talent, you know, however we we like to speak of it. But certainly in the last four or five years, you know, there was a big event that caused a lot of change in the world, but it really brought HR people practices to the forefront. And so much more has been put on that already very full plate for people leaders. And we read about and, I, you know, talk to HR leaders who are burnt out, stressed out because of all of the demands of them and their team. How do you prioritize either both in your own organization or in your conversations with other people, leaders? Where do we start when there's there's strategic initiatives that need to be done in terms of people? There's the day to day, the blocking and tackling. Where do we start? What do we prioritize? Yeah, I think that's that's such a good question. And it, it will be different for every organization, right? And depending on what stage you're at and kind of what you're facing. But I think the way I approach this is I really, I really utilize the teams, the, the employees. I let them tell me what I should be prioritizing. And then I talk to the executives and let them tell me what I should be prioritizing. So how do I, you know, how can HR, how can people programs, 
impact the business objectives and, and what will have the biggest impact on those business objectives. And sometimes that's not a really like straight line of just like, you know, if we do X, our revenue is going to go up by Y. We're not sales, but we can look at it of like, you know what, if we do this program, our retention will go up by X, which will eventually boost our revenue because we're not having to replace people as often. Um, so I think looking at it in that type of lens and also educating our executives and how that works. I think, again, there is this mentality of just like, well, what's the ROI on that right away? And it's like, well, each program may not have a very clear ROI, but all these programs together will have a clear ROI. I think that's part of that. And I think, again, like really listening to the employees. And I don't mean just putting out surveys and going through them and being like, oh, people are unhappy about their vacation, our vacation policy. Let's redo our vacation policy. But actually going on talking tours and making sure your directors are going on talking tours, making sure your managers are talking to people and getting that feedback funneled up to you. There's you really got to have to have that balance between the quantitative and the qualitative feedback. There's nothing there is no substitute for actually sitting down and talking with a person. I was listening to a podcast, the uh, Lars Amplify podcast, and he was he was talking to one of the lead researchers at Gallup, and they had done all this research and they had pulled all these this data. And what they noticed was the impact that HR has on someone's sort of tenure and their retention versus their manager is not as big as people think is that's not as different as people think you know we have all the articles that people leave managers they leave their managers bad managers cause people to leave but it was through their research was it was about 51 percent manager impact and 49 percent hr impact so if you as an hr team can really have a positive impact on an employee's life at your organization you can really prolong the tenure there. And they said it was, I think it was like six or seven positive interactions with the HR team for that sort of, to realize that full 49% potential. So if you can have those positive interactions, and these need to be interactions where you're actually talking to somebody, you're having performance management conversations with them, you're just having one-on-ones and having those, those types of conversations. And it doesn't always have to be you as the head of people or a senior people person, but your team, like the HR team, you need to have those six or seven positive impact, uh, positive uh, events with an employee with the HR team. So I think Looking at it in that lens of like, if we can have these interactions at the same time, get feedback from these people and then implement that feedback, that's how we can really prioritize our roadmaps. Um, and then closing the loop on people's feedback and then, you know, looking at what things are going to happen next year and whatnot. And then always being okay that things may need to pivot when catastrophic you know, events happen like they have in the past four or five years. Sure. Well, it's one thing, you know, I love that your your approach that we have to listen to people and prioritize initiatives based off the business, business objectives and the feedback that we're getting from both all employee groups, you know, including business leaders. But it's always been difficult to quantify some of the important aspects of people practices and to really, you know, be able to show ROI or bottom line impact to get leaders engaged in the idea of something like DE&I. And I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday. We were riding horses and, and uh, we were talking about DE&I and, and how, you know, more and more research is showing that it's being deprioritized in some organizations. Now, they're probably not coming out and saying we're deprioritizing DE&I, but they're either uh, eliminating DE&I leaders or the team or taking it off of their strategic initiatives. 
both how are you approaching that with your colleagues that maybe it's happening in their organizations and also how how do we as leaders help our senior team and our our CEOs see the importance of something that it's very difficult to say if we do this i mean there's studies out there that show you know people with more diverse leadership teams or boards, et cetera, make more money. And you could put that in front of your CEO and they'd go, that's nice. Um, <laughs> they want to know how it's going to impact our organization. Now, we know it's the right thing to do, but sometimes the right thing to do doesn't get prioritized when business needs come first, right? A hundred percent. And I think you're right. Every executive one out there knows it's the quote unquote right thing to do. I think one of the strategies that I've found successful is actually looking at the demographics of your clients and being like, this, this is our client group. These are the people that make up our client group. Look at all the different demographics that our clients that like encompass are all of our clients. If we want to successfully sell to these people and retain to these people and, and, and then also get into these new industries, we need to have a workforce that also looks like that or else why would they buy from us? And so that's one way that I have seen those DEI initiatives get put into place is like we like we need a sales team that looks like our clients because a black woman executive is going to be less likely to buy from like a white tech bro SaaS salesperson. They're just it's just there, there's no relationship there um, that's going to happen really authentically. And so if you have a sales team that's a bit more diverse, that has broad experiences that can bring those to the conversations that they're having with prospects and clients, then you're just much, you can build those relationships stronger, you can build them faster and you can close deals faster and easier. And so I think having those conversations and connecting those dots for executives is really important. And you can talk to your marketing team and be like, hey, like, because they probably already have this information. I'm just like, what is the demographics of our, of our clients and our prospects? Take that back, look at what your team is currently made up of and look for the gaps. And then you can implement strategies and programs to bridge those gaps. And then other ways to do that are like, look, we need to hire more people in, from this demographic. We need more women. We need more black people, indigenous people, you name it. And then the ways to do that is like, we need to have a more diverse leadership group because it's harder to hire these people if they don't see leaders that look like them in the organization. So you get this sort of like, you know, this, this, build on effect of like, you know, if our entire executive team is white men, it's gonna be really hard to hire really competent senior women, women of color, black women, LGBTQ plus individuals. And so you have to like, first, we need to diversify up here if we're going to hire over here to better serve our clients. And I think that's one approach that I've seen has worked well is like, look at our demographics and if you're one of those companies where your demographics are pretty for your clients are pretty you know monogamous or like the all of the kind of the same then it's again it's just like well what happens when we need to diversify our industries that we're going into we want to get ahead of that conversation we want to get ahead of that so that we're not playing catch up against our competitors um so i think again it's really like you got to tie it to like you said that business objectives that revenue that bottom line and the resiliency of your organization of like you know, if we need to pivot into another industry, we'd be much better prepared if we have a diverse work group who has different experiences, who's bringing a lot of different um, backgrounds, because, you know, they'll help us get there instead of a, a giant group think that has no idea how to pivot over there. 
Mm -hmm. So are we failing as people leaders if companies are starting to deprioritize, defund, delegitimize DE&I efforts in their organization? Is it is it the HR team, the people leaders that are that are not making enough of a business case or they don't have the ear of the right people in the organization? What are your thoughts on that? I'm going to say yes and no. I think definitely in some regards, people leaders have are, are not fully equipped. And I think this is part of like the legacy of HR, right? Legacy of HR was always compliance, admin, and like some operations stuff. And so a lot of HR leaders and HR executives may not have the background and the experience of having to make those business cases for these new things that employees are asking for. And so I think in that regard, yeah, they're, they're, they're not prepared to make those business cases or you know, they might have a CEO or a board who's just, they don't care. And nothing they say, can, or do will change their mind. In which case, you know, sometimes it's just better to walk away than it is to kind of keep pushing against that rock. And I think like, I think the other part of this is, is that HR shouldn't own DEI. I think that 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 is the conversation that needs to happen of like, DEI should be its own sort of department that works in conjunction with HR, finance, and every other team in the organization. And it really actually needs to come from the CEO and the and the other C-suite executives to saying that like, this is important, let's build a team that does this. And I think those are the companies that have the most success with DEI programs is when it is a separate team that reports directly to the CEO. Um, they're not reporting to the head of HR. They're working very closely with the head of HR, but they're not reporting to them. I think that those those are the companies that have the most success with DEI programs. It might be the head of HR's job to convince that C-suite that we need to build this team, but again, it's got to come from that those the, mainly the CEO. Mm -hmm. Well, so much of convincing others, particularly again business leaders, is is making a good business case and showing showing the return on the investment. But a lot of it is also, particularly for people leaders, around kind of coaching up and across and and advising and mentoring and counseling people who are either your boss or your peers or in some cases above you on the org chart how have you approached kind of that consigliere role in the organization maybe both in organizations where you've people have wanted that from you and also maybe you've worked in an organization where they haven't or you're familiar with organizations where they they don't really want that from the people leader yeah yeah it's um and I, I say this to a lot of like more junior HR folks who are getting into the industry and they're like, what's the one thing I should get really good at? What's the one thing that I really need to focus on? And I'm like, as terrible as it sounds, you really have to learn how to manipulate others into doing the right thing. Oh, you um, use the M word. I do use the M word for sure because <laughs> it is what we do. Like we, it, and it's not, you know, nefarious in any way, shape or form, but you have to get really good at convincing people to do the right thing. And there are many ways to do this. And you have to learn what will make that person care, whether that's the bottom line revenue, whether that's retention, whether that's the five-year plan, whatever it is, um, the way that I've really approached this and kind of looked at it is what makes that person tick? What do they care about? What is the one thing that keeps them up at night? All right, how do I tie that to this program that needs to happen, whether it's a DEI, better compensation, whatever, recognition program. And then I look at how I can connect the dots and whether it's a direct line or whether it's like, this will impact this, which will impact this. And here are the ways I can show that. So again, it's really understanding the person you're talking to, 
how they receive feedback, how they learn, what they care about. And you have to learn, you're not gonna learn this on day one. It, it comes from having lots of conversations with this person, building some trust with them. And one of the things that I like to do is just try and have regular check-ins with you know, our executives, our managers, and talk to them. And, and I think the other part about this is that we have to be really okay embracing conflict. I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people, especially on the people team, because we want everyone to get along and have, you know, a good time. But conflict is very healthy if it's done in the right way. And no one's going to grow and get better if you don't give them feedback. Um, and, you know, and sometimes there's, there's a lot of strategies on how to give feedback, what are the best ways to give feedback. And then there's other, another stat, I can't remember if it was Gallup or Mercer that came up with this one through their research, but it was like, um, people need to hear five pieces of affirming feedback. So like positive feedback before they can take in the constructive feedback. Um, and this isn't like the feedback sandwich. Like I'm going to give you five pieces of good feedback all in one go and then give you one piece of constructive feedback. It's like over weeks, over months, you know, you're building that relationship where you're giving positive reaffirming feedback and constructive feedback on how they're doing things. So when it comes time for you to give them that constructive feedback, they're much more likely to listen to it because you built up that sort of foundation of this person cares about me, they care about my job, they care about what I'm trying to do. And so when you give them the constructive feedback, they're like, oh, this is just another piece of feedback from this person on how I can be better, not what I've done really well. And so there's there's strategies there. But I think the it, you just really have to learn who that person is. And that takes a while. Like and. And we're all going to make mistakes and you're going to get feedback that doesn't land and you're going to have conflict with folks. And so it's also good to have those support networks, to have those conversations of like, hey, I'm having like I'm struggling. I can't get through to this person. I've tried X, Y, Z. What else can I do? And then having that community of other HR leaders kind of be like, oh, well, I've had that situation in the past. This is something that I tried that worked really well. And then having those conversations. I'm I, like I have a, a few HR communities that I rely on heavily for those types of situations where I'm like, I just can't get through to this person, please help me. And then there will always be, I'm going to say like the CEO or the, you know, CFO or the CSO who just won't listen to you because they think HR is the fluffy department that doesn't really do anything and it's the party planners. And they'll learn eventually that, you know, if they don't listen and their team slowly crumbles underneath them, eventually they'll come to you and be like, I don't know what's going on. I can't retain my people. Nothing's going right. What's happening here? Um, and, and sometimes in those cases, you have to go to the CEO or another executive partner who does see the value of the HR team. Be like, I need you to help me kind of connect with this person and help help me help them save their team. Mm -hmm. The old Jerry Maguire example. Well, I would just, I will submit a proposal for you instead of the manipulation word, which I under I understand your heart. <laughs> I like influence. It's about influencing others. We don't, we, we don't, because manipulation, I had someone once when we were having a conversation about interviewing and they were asking me how I was able to get people to tell me things that they didn't tell anybody else in interviews. And they said, are you manipulating them? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I am influencing the conversation and building trust and relationships. This is what you were talking about to, to be able to influence people. It is a function of trust and relationship and it does happen over time. So I appreciate you sharing your approach there. You also, from your writings and, and the things I've seen from you, you, you talk a lot um, about the importance of transparency in company culture and in order to build trust. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. And like you said, like it, it's, it's the, a company only functions when there's trust 
uh, within the organization. As soon as that trust is broken and people no longer trust either their managers or the, the executive team or the company as a whole, their engagement's going to go down, their productivity is going to go down, their, their innovation is going to go down, everything's going to go down because if they don't trust what they're doing has impact or is going to move things forward, then why would they do it? Like it's 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 just why it's very human psychology of just like like why am I here? What am I doing? If what I'm doing, can I trust that this is actually going to move the needle in any way, shape, or form? You, you get pretty demotivated pretty quickly. And I think transparency plays a big part in that trust. It's really hard to ask someone to trust you when you won't give them anything. Like uh, <laughs> I need you to trust me on blind faith alone. Most people won't do that. And so I think, again, like a lot of executives hear the word transparency and they're like, no, 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 no. Like people just need to know how to do their job and do it well. And they can they can trust that we know best. And it's like, well, if you look at the media and what's happened over the last year and a half, two years, especially in the tech industry, no one trusts executives to know best because they've made a lot of really big mistakes that have impacted hundreds of thousands of people's livelihood. So that trust has been broken across the industry, I would say, even companies that are that are still doing well and still hiring, I think there is a mentality of the trust of executive teams. It's just, it's gone down a little bit across the industry. And so I think this is where transparency does come in. Because if you give people the power and the knowledge to understand business objectives, how we're gonna get there, what the roadmap is, why we're making decisions, or giving people the background of why we made these strategic decisions and are going in this direction now, they're much more likely to come along for the ride. And it doesn't have to be like full disclosure. I think that's bad. And I think there's there's some great, uh, there's great examples that Brene Brown brings in with her books and with her podcast of like, you can't share everything. Because if you share that, like, as an executive, like I'm stressed out and everything's terrible and on fire, people are gonna be like, oh, oh, this person has no idea what they're doing and we need to leave. But if you share things like, I don't necessarily know the answer now, but I'll figure it out and come back to you, that's that's better. But if you tell people that you share things in the wrong way, that can be bad. So again, it's a bit of a journey. It's a bit of learning. Um, but I think things as simple as like, what is what revenue came in this month? How close are we to our goals? What are the metrics across every team that they're tracking and how are we tracking against them? How are we holding people like those teams accountable against you know metrics that they're not hitting? How are we having those conversations? What are we going to do in you know at the midpoint mark if we haven't hit our goal? What's the plan there? Um, so I think giving people that information allows them to make strategic decisions. It allows them to actually save time and energy and money on not pursuing things that might distract them. Of like no 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 no. We need to hit our goal because if we don't hit our goal by midpoint, then, you know, maybe there'll be a layoff or maybe there'll have to be budget cuts or et cetera, et cetera. And so it helps focus people more on what's impactful, which built in and they're going to be more engaged. They're going to do a better job. It builds trust because they're like, oh, they trust me to make these decisions for me and my team. And they're trusting us with this information. And it also it saves a lot of time because managers have to answer a lot less questions of their team if they just have the information in front of them. So again, I think it's really about devising that strategy as an organization, as an executive team, with the input of the people team of like, what should we be sharing? How often should we be sharing it? And then I think also being okay to step in front and saying, we don't have all the answers. We're relying on you to help us get there and being open to take questions. I think like, you know, monthly town halls, there should be an opportunity for people to ask 
questions either anonymously or non-anonymously and have the executive team answer those questions. I think that builds a lot of trust just in that regard of like, we'll answer questions as they roll in. And sometimes we won't have the answers and setting that precedent up front. We may not have the answer, but we'll get back to if we, when we do get the answer. Yeah. I had the opportunity to work at an organization that was a, a financial and cultural turnaround. It was over a hundred years old and the people had, many of the people had been there almost that long. Um, and so they had a lot of memories of being treated poorly over, over time. And, and at one point the organization had been heavily unionized. And so myself and uh, several others were brought in by a new CEO to kind of turn the business around. And one of the first things that after he got all the team together, hired everyone for the team, we held an all employee meeting, which they had not done in maybe ever in the organization where the executives were standing up and kind of giving the state of the union. And, you know, we shared that, you know, right now, here's the financial situation. It's not good, but that's why we're here. And here's the plan to turn it around. We're going to need your help. We're all going to have to come together. And I stood up, I was coming from a, a Japanese company with a highly focused team team-based work environment. And so I kind of shared some of my philosophies and what I hope to, to gain their trust, knowing and understanding that right now they didn't trust any of us. And I will never forget, you know, these were, these were factory workers, you know, people who had, again, been very mistreated over their careers, whether they just started recently or they'd been there 45 years. And at the end of that all-employee meeting, <laughs> I'll never forget, Someone, a woman, you know, who'd been there for a very long time came up and hugged me. <laughs> and I was like, uh, is this okay? Are we allowed to do this? <laughs> and she said, I just want to thank you for standing up in front of us and telling us the truth because no one's ever done that. And it, things like that went a long way. I mean, it wasn't an easy road. It did take time for for everyone to build trust in each other. But as you said, just something as simple as communicating, here's where we are. And oh, by the way, I signed on to this sinking ship because I believe we can write it. And I'm going to need your help because I can't do that by myself. You know, So there's a way to share bad news or enough information to get people also engaged in the journey. And I think too many leaders, unfortunately, miss that opportunity to really build trust in sometimes negative circumstances by sharing as much as you can with people and getting them involved and on board. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, like you said, like we need your help. And if people kind of see it like, Oh, and they, oh, people are smart. They'll be like, Oh, if this keeps up, like if they keep going down, I'm going to lose my job. And so I want to keep my job because I need the money. So I'm going to work hard to write this ship and I can see that they're being, you know, authentic and transparent and they want help from us. And so let's help them help me in the end. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that, you you know, you lean on some different communities of people or, or, or things to help you in your career. And I know a lot of times when people ask me, you know, who do I recommend or what resources I recommend for people to learn and grow more about the talent people space, your name is one of the ones that I mentioned and I, I, maybe you've had some people invite you to connect on LinkedIn because I've said, go follow Noah. You don't even have to invite him to connect. Just follow so you can see his posts. But what are some of, you know, share with the listeners of the podcast, both people leaders and leaders in general, what are some of the resources that you turn to to help um, grow in your career and your knowledge of how to lead in an ever-changing and evolving world of work? Yeah, I think so. I follow a medley of folks on LinkedIn as well. I really try and make sure that I'm listening to diverse perspectives. Um, so listening to black leaders, 
you know, trans leaders, LGBTQ plus leaders, like I'm really trying to make sure that, you know, as a cisgendered white guy with a lot of privilege, I am trying to get the perspectives of other people um, and make sure that I'm learning from them of what I should be doing. I really, I'd say my top sort of like community that I'm a part of would be the one that Lars Schmidt started, the Amplify Academy. I think like there's a Slack group there, there's an academy where you can do coursework, uh, kind of at your own pace. And then there's cohorts that you can join where there's guest instructors that go through different things. And so I found that the most impactful for my career and learning and also just like the safety zone there of like, you know, we deal with a lot of stuff. And so knowing that I can go to other HR executives who've been in my shoes before and be pretty blunt and brutal with them and knowing that they're going to keep that information safe and secret and they will be frank with me because sometimes I'm in the wrong and they'll be like, no, you're in the wrong. You're you're wrong here. You need to go rectify that. Like, okay, great. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Um, so there's, there's, it's not, and there's, there's other groups I'm a part of where it's more of an exchange of like, Hey, I'm building this policy. Can somebody help me? Here's a template. Awesome. Great. Thanks. Um, this one I find is a bit more like, it's very strategic because it is kind of held to that level of senior executives. Um, and so I find that one is probably the most impactful one that I'm a part of right now. It's the safest. We do a weekly mentor hours where like groups of us come together every Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning for me. And just like, we come with our biggest problem. And for an hour, we just talk shop and help each other. And I'm like, Hey, this is my biggest problem this week. How can I get help? And sometimes I don't have problems, but I show up and I'll try and help others who are having their biggest problem of the week. And so it feels like a true community. Um, we all, a bunch of us, were met at Transform down in Las Vegas this past year. And it was like meeting old friends, even though I had never met them in person before in my life. So it, it felt nice. That's that's my favorite. Sure. Well, thanks for sharing that. Lars is definitely a friend of the show. And I will link to the Amplify community. It is for, I believe, chief people officers, people, you know, senior heads of people in the organization. But even if you aren't a chief people officer or senior head of an organization, there are groups or opportunities out there, as you said, to connect with like-minded people, to form a cohort. You can even do that on your own and not do it through another organization. But having those people around you to be a sounding board to to share you know best practices next practices whatever we're calling them these days is is really important well again i appreciate learning from you and i also appreciate that you highlight a lot of the voices that you learn from and it helps me to find other people that i can learn from as well so thank you for doing that yeah my pleasure and i think that's how we do it right everyone just keeps highlighting the great people that they're following and we all can follow better people uh, more people and um for those people who are you know a little bit more junior entry in their career the the people people group is a great one to to join for networking and learning and resources and then the the group that chart hop has started the people ops group um that's another great one for like resources and, and connecting with folks um, those are a couple other great communities. I'd say those ones are a bit more like transactional in the sense of like, I need this policy or I need information or I need feedback, um, but still great places to connect and, you know, chat. And, you know, if you're building a policy, don't build it from scratch. Just go to one of these communities and be like, hey, I got to build this policy. Does anybody have a template or can they share something with me? And four people will send you templates or their current policies. And then you can kind of like mix and match to your, to what you need. Mm -hmm. well, that's, thank you for sharing those. I'll link to those in the show notes as well. Well, where can people find you, learn more about you, connect with you, et cetera? 
Yeah, I'd say the best place is LinkedIn. It's kind of probably where I'm the most active. I do have a Twitter profile. I don't use it very often. Um, Twitter has become a bit of a tire fire, and I've kind of tried to distance myself from it a bit. A tire um, fire. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, but uh, I'd say LinkedIn is the main one I go to. And then I have my my consulting website um, that, you know, I take on one or two clients uh, at a time. And then, of course, you can always check us out on Gusto. I do a lot of content for Gusto as well around engagement, how to connect with employees, how to build recognition programs, the importance of all those things. And so our, our marketing team does a great job of putting out content that is very educational focused and not sales focused. And so if you're looking for things, especially around the recognition and employee engagement space, check out what, what we're putting out there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad I got to know a little bit more about you and I look forward to continuing to learning from you in the future. Thanks, Jennifer. I really appreciated the time and, you know, always excited to chat with people and always happy to answer questions from folks over LinkedIn as well. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.